know, you and I couldn't have won Oscars for portraying two more different people. That's so true. One of us playing a brash and controversial leader, known for loving whiskey and always being enshrouded in that trademark cloud of smoke. Yes, and then, of course, you played Churchill. Yeah. And here are the nominees for performance by an actor in a leading role. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And we have our second to last category review podcast for you guys today, covering the best actor category. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, in a moment. But Mike, once again, we have a man that is all too qualified to be joining (laughs) us, but out of the goodness and decency of his heart, he is. A very special guest today, William Bibiani. He is the co-host of all the great podcasts on the critically acclaimed network. The titular show is critically acclaimed with Whitney Seibold, and they cover all kinds of new movies on that one. The Two Shot is a fun show about double features and the best slash worst movies of the decade. Love that uh, installment. Yeah, we should. Oh, (laughs) goddammit. Too late. Uh, And then Canceled Too Soon is his pod about TV shows shows which were canceled in one season or less uh he's also got really cool new series like the iron list we've got mail on the same network if you subscribe to that network on patreon you can listen to his oscars podcast only the best where he and whitney review all of the best picture nominees in a single year they hyphenate the year which immediately wins me over by the way i was just looking through <laughs> the list there uh, but he's also got a star wars podcast that he just announced on social media yeah. Last night, that's coming very soon, called Episode Zero. So the man is the podcast king, but he's also great in other media, Mike. Yeah, and and how we've known him, he's written for Bloody Disgusting. He's written for The Rap, a couple of his pieces that Mike and I like, and we've shouted out some of his other ones before. But just recently, if you want to go seek out more of his recent work, he has Sorry Black Philip, Robert Eggers Says Seagulls Are Better Actors Than Goats, his interview with the director of The Lighthouse. Uh, He's also ranked all of the Oscar nominees this year from Worst to best that for the rap and also this for the rap he's ranked every single Stephen King movie from worst to best a colossal feat right there it's like quite the, the undertakings were like all right good tip of the hat to you sir the the Stephen King movies how do you get through all those but he can do it he's such a versatile film critic really is he's also had his movie reviews from around the web he's been a fixture on Rotten Tomatoes a fixture on Metacritic and of course how I first encountered the man I will lovingly refer to later in this episode as Bibbs is he was a character on the Schmodown. You've heard me talk at length, uh, very mm-hmm. glowing mm-hmm. terms, about the movie trivia Schmodown, which is a movie trivia show. Bibbs is one of the stalwarts and one of the pillars that that entire program rests on the shoulders of. He's a uh, character that he calls himself the Beast. <laughs> one of their big shows, their pay-per-view type shows, is... A Royal Rumble type show Yeah. at the beginning of the year where they have four participants sitting up and they have rounds of five questions each. Whoever has the lowest score in each round gets kicked out. And they go through, I think, 30 competitors. So one person gets kicked out per round. Could be two if there's a tie for low score, etc. They fill in and then another round of five questions goes. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil what Bibbs did. You can go (laughs) seek it out for yourself on the Schmodown Network on YouTube. The man knows everything about movie trivia. He had one of the more incredible feats of knowledge based on movie trivia that I've seen, and he does it all while standing up, too. He, like, refuses to sit down. He does refuse to sit down. He's a physical beast as well in that (laughs) regard. So, again, for those reasons, that's how I just came across to know him, but getting to read his stuff and getting to hear his podcast, he is a truly, truly incredible and insightful human being, and we could not be happier and more grateful that he was deciding to join us today to talk all things Best Actor with us. 
us. So please do enjoy our discussion about the best actor category with William Bibiani in the second half of this episode. As always with these category reviews, more from Mike and I. But for now, here's our interview with Bibbs, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, on the line right now, we have Mr. William Bibiani. William, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. And uh, let's go to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we love your uh, critically acclaimed network. I love a bunch of the shows on there. I mean, I listen to it constantly. The Joker was a bit of a mixed review for you guys. So to dive right in, I mean, you mentioned on that show uh, back in September that there are better films about mental illness, and ironically, several of them star Joaquin Phoenix. So we've been debating this ourselves, but I'm wondering if you think this Joker performance kind of transcends some issues with the film. How do you weigh the two? I mean, it got nominated so many times. Well, uh, uh, the number of nominations a film gets is no particular standard of its quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, not overall, anyway. Um, I mean, it's it's really an honor to be nominated. I'm happy for everyone who was. I've never been nominated, so what do I know? <laughs> um, but Joker strikes me as one of those movies that takes a complicated issue and looks like it's doing it justice, but actually is kind of doing something very surfacey. And I think as a result, it's getting more attention because it is taking a complex issue and making it palatable. The Academy would never do that, though. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's something that, it, you know, it makes it easier for people to digest some sticky subjects. And, you know, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix has dealt uh, with issues of uh, mental illness repeatedly last year, or technically two years ago now. Uh, he was in a film called You Were Never Really Here, which I would argue is his greatest performance, where uh, he was dealing with issues of uh, depression and suicidal ideation. And these are heavy topics that that movie understood mm. exceptionally well and explored in greater depth than Joker. I would also argue that on a different level, in a slightly different way, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master mm-hmm. uh, deals with issues of mental health and uh, how easy it is to manipulate people who feel lost uh, in a way that Joker really doesn't. I think Joker is a stylish production. I think it is a handsome production. I think it looks really good. Uh, the score is really, really great. There are good performances in it. The problems I have with Joker tend to stem from what I feel is a very surface-level screenplay, which takes issues of mental health and just says, well, it's a problem. We should <laughs> probably have more money for that. And... Uh, Mm. Yeah, like that's basically where it ends. And a lot of people don't watch movies that get that far in the conversation. And as a result, Joker feels like a pretty, you know, intelligent, insightful movie, which is fine, I think, as a gateway. I think it's this kind of film that hopefully will lead people to movies that inspired Joker and I think handles similar topics even better. Like most obviously, the movie calls out to very specifically King of Comedy. Mm hmm. But I think as it's one of these things that I think is kind of frustrating where there's a lot of really brilliant actors out there who don't get an Academy Award for a truly transcendent performance and then ultimately get an Academy Award for an okay performance. And because for whatever reason, you know, there was less competition that year or the more okay performance was, you know, a little easier to swallow. Um, I would argue that Kate Winslet's Oscar for The Reader is really kind of a a career Oscar because that is easily not her best performance. Um, For just one example. 
I think if Joaquin Phoenix wins the Academy Award, and I would not be shocked. I do think he's he's the front runner. Um, I it's fine. It, it's fine. It's a good performance. God knows he threw himself into it. Mm. But I worry sometimes because we've heard the stories about how Joaquin Phoenix threw himself so into it that it led to problems in production. He injured himself. He would leave the set. It would be difficult, uh, like in the makeup room. And there's a part of me that says it's one thing to throw yourself into a performance and be incredibly method. It's another thing to be a danger to yourself, to emaciate yourself that much. I don't think we should be encouraging that. Right. I think that's something – I think it's actually a really ugly side of the industry that we're not really eager to confront because it leads to so many great performances. But when you think about like what it finally took for Leonardo DiCaprio to win an Academy Award for The Revenant and the physical torture he had to undergo in The Revenant, he was just as good an actor in the other movies he didn't win for. And I actually think it was somewhat irresponsible to ask him to do all of that. I think that's so, a fascinating point. And it kind of, I mean, it parlays itself to other, that actually, that specifically about kind of emaciating yourself, maybe Christian Bale and the Machinist is the most famous example right now, but yeah. what Joaquin Phoenix went through, that's actually a big hot topic point of discussion right now for fighters doing this in the world of MMA, They how they have to cut weight so drastically, wrestlers at the high school level too. I mean, it's kind of a, a big hot button issue. So maybe- well, it, it, you're endangering their health. Right. Yeah. So they maybe have, that putting on, taking off weight that quickly is not healthy. Right. Right. That's not even something that I, I thought. Of. I think that's a really, really interesting point. I appreciate you bringing that to a, I, I don't want to ding Joaquin Phoenix for it. Obviously he was game for it and it led to a very good performance, but at the same time, I mean, we're not only talking about who deserves the Academy. We're not only talking about who gives the best performance. We're talking about who's the most award worthy. Yeah. And I don't think those are always necessarily the same thing because sometimes people win an award for doing something that to them is kind of status quo and other people are going completely all out and changing themselves. And like Joaquin Phoenix, he did all that work for a performance that is, I think, on par with what he did for You Were Never Really Here or any of his other really great performances. Hmm. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to bestow an award on that. But I also know that he's the front runner, and I've come to terms with that, even though I'm not a huge fan of the movie. And he's a very good actor, and I'm not going to begrudge him having an Academy Award because he's a really one of the best actors working today. I you I, that's, I think that's a great answer, and it brings up a lot of interesting points that I, I don't think we've thought about or talked about here. We do echo some of the sentiments you did hit on, though. Just before diving deeper into this category, let's say, like you said, Joaquin Phoenix is the front runner. He is the leader in this category right now. If he goes on to have Oscar success, if he does get the, finally his first win there, just as far as the bigger picture for movies in general, what do you think this does in terms of the DCEU? Do you think it'll just get darker? Do you think they go more towards the comic booky Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman type places? Do you, I mean, we've talked about here, we wish they would just give the whole reins over to Gal Gadot and Margot Robbie and let them have the whole universe there be a lead up to those two forces battling each other. But do you think this would go darker for DC overall? Well, it's happened before, and we saw with the success of The Dark Knight in particular, because Batman Begins had a lot of kooky elements, mm -hmm. uh, the success of The Dark Knight, the monster success of The Dark Knight, the Academy Awards success of The Dark Knight, where the first time someone won an Academy Award for playing the Joker. We saw that that led to Warner Brothers deciding, well, I guess all superhero movies need to be like this. And then when Green Lantern was unsuccessful, that kind of cemented it, and that led us into the Zack Snyder reign. And that crashed and burned pretty bad. And I don't 
think it's fair to say that that's explicitly because Justice League got taken away from him. I think people saw Man of Steel and then Batman v Superman didn't do that great because people saw Man of Steel and didn't kind of want more than that. They, they didn't want more of that. Hmm. I think what Warner Brothers is, is doing right now, and I think it's a really good move for them because they're not – they finally realize that this whole interconnected comic book universe thing is something that – Marvel has successfully done, but is really hard to replicate. Right. They're doing a pretty good job of keeping their characters separate and not just separate in terms of franchises, but separate in terms of tone, separate in terms of thematic underpinning. They're just doing their own thing. And, you know, that can be frustrating for a fan sometimes because you might want to see these characters team up, but I'd rather have a good movie that is be good because it's doing its own thing than a bad movie that, tried to appease some fantasy movie that doesn't even exist yet. So I hope that what Warner Brothers is taking away from the success of the Joker, and I hope Birds of Prey is good, and I also hope that if it is good, it is successful, that Warner Brothers realizes that their strength right now isn't in trying to make all of their movies the same. Their strength right now is trying to make all of their movies different. However, what I have learned time and time again from even being a casual fan of the entertainment industry uh, is that Hollywood is very eager to take the biggest shortcut possible. <laughs> Whenever something new happens, they tend to just, what is the easiest part of this to replicate? Like, remember when Titanic came out? Yeah. And it was a huge smash hit. We didn't have a sudden wave of giant blockbusters that were guided by an ambitious auteur who had the full backing of a studio system. They didn't learn that lesson. We didn't have a sudden uh, uh, rushing tide of ambitious epic romances. We had a couple, but mm-hmm. not th- that's not what they learned. No, no, no. What Hollywood learned was it's okay to spend $200 million. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens over and over again. So I, again, I wouldn't be shocked if they take a really simplistic message from this and just kind of sink yet another franchise into the ground by trying to make it samey but hopefully what they're learning is that making it more broad and different with every film is kind of the thing they can do that marvel can't right now and that's how and a joker 2 wins you over by being something different than than the first film or uh do, do you want to see them build on i mean how do you want to see them build on the first film i, I don't i i think it's probably better off to leave it as a done in one I, I would be amused if they did a Joker too, because a lot of the counter argument to my criticism of the film, and I'm not the only person who criticized it. And God knows there are tons of people from all walks of life who love this movie to pieces. And I get why we are not um, two of those people. We're not. Two of them. No, no, and fair enough. But I know people who are I've <laughs> right. had, had very pleasant conversations about it. I've had very antagonistic conversations about it. Yeah. Um, but one of the arguments that I, I, someone, someone asked me about like, what were the best reboots of the year? And I think I mentioned Joker and they're like, well, that's not a reboot. What are you talking about? It literally gives you the origin of Batman. <laughs> that's literally the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Is the origin of the Joker and the origin of Batman. It's done over and over again. I saw some confusion when it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, but it's an original film. No, it's not. <laughs> it's about the Joker. There have been so many blockbuster films about the Joker so far that it's kind of like the eighth remake or something by now. I haven't counted. Sure. Not that I couldn't, but like I'm just not going to take time out of the podcast to do so. But like, I think if it had a sequel, I think it would only call attention to 
what a cynical exercise it actually was. And you've heard Todd Phillips talk about how we're going to do a serious movie, but we're going to call it Joker, and then everyone will see our serious movie. But actually, by shoehorning it into Joker, you made your movie significantly less serious. Some of the plotting in Joker is laughable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, The whole, like, relationship between the Joker and Bruce Wayne now, like, if they'd done that in the comics... It would be retconned out of existence so fast. People would have said that's the stupidest thing ever. They'd probably be right. But, yeah, I think it would just call attention to this was not an art house movie. Of course it wasn't. It was a studio film. It was designed to make money. Everyone was always just like, oh, you know, it's like if it wasn't for DC film, you'd love it. Yeah, if it wasn't a DC film, it wouldn't have made a billion dollars. Right. <laughs> There's no conceivable way. If, if if that was the case and it was like all based on merit, Nightcrawler would have made a billion dollars. Yeah. yeah. But True. it and it should. It's a great movie. I agree. But it, it didn't. It, this was a Joker movie. So I think if you start sequelizing this and you start turning it into the franchise material that it kind of always was, I think people will start retroactively to realize just what a product it always was and how cynical it was to call this an art house movie when basically it's taking big studio product and making it look independent mm. without actually having anything independent to say. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's yeah. a good tagline there. So I, I got to ask you, this just dawned on me. I, so you seem to be a lover of the dark Knight. I think I, I don't remember. Book. I think it's great. So uh, if you created some kind of rubric here, Heath Ledger, because we did this for a month. We did the Joker character study. We had a blast. Where would you give Joaquin Phoenix the edge kind of over Heath Ledger? Anywhere? Does it happen anywhere? Well, you... movies. Heath Ledger yeah. was an instrument of chaos. We knew very little about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heath, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, we know a lot about him. We know a lot about where he's coming from. And, and that's a very different kind of performance because the actor is given – different levels of material to work with, different levels of knowledge about their character. They also represent different things in their narrative. I think it's easy to compare them because they're both playing the Joker, but I do think they're very, very different performances. Um, I think Heath Ledger gives a truly iconic performance as the Joker. I would also argue that so does Jack Nicholson and so does Cesar Romero. Um, Joker is a character that is easy for people to put their stamp on uh, because he is such a broad character because he represents so much because there is so much uh you can do with that character that is entirely fitting and doesn't change Mm. what he represents to batman but does become something that represents whitney seibold my co-host at Mm. the critically acclaimed uh network he actually is a rather fond of the jared leto joker because he thinks the jared leto joker represents this sort of new money joker Uh you know famous and then just starts buying like shiny Lamborghinis and getting stupid face tattoos and everything like that. And just kind of going mad with money influencer Joker. He kind of, yeah. yeah. And so he was like, say what you will, but that's actually a very good Joker for modern times. And I wasn't a fan of, I'm still not a fan of the movie, but after hearing him talk about that, I'm like, you know what? That's a valid interpretation of Joker. I, I retract some of my criticisms so I don't think the movie uses him very well, but the idea is sound. So Joaquin Phoenix is doing the sympathetic Joker. Mm. Heath Ledger is doing the Lord of Chaos, and I think they really don't have a lot of overlap. I think that's an interesting way of, of dissecting them, too, and I, I, if we were to come down on that, we were 
again, close to that, but I think you put it more eloquently and articulately than Mike and I could over the hours of podcasting that we attributed to it. So I appreciate the insight there. Oh, I, uh, I put shaw, I tell you, but okay. <laughs> Just to get back to the best actor field, though. So if it's a given or at least presumed that Joaquin is in the lead or going to win, if you, you know, had to, to pick one of the rivals, one of the other four to most rival him, if you had to place that bet on someone else finishing second, should we ever actually see the voting results from the Academy? <laughs> God forbid. Well, I'll tell you I'll tell you who I would vote for. Yeah. If it were up to me. I would vote for Antonio Banderas. Oh, cool. Uh, for Pain and Glory. I think um, I think everyone actually gives a very admirable, admirable performance in this category. There are people I would have nominated that didn't get nominated, but this is a respectable category. But... You know, I, I look at what Leonardo DiCaprio, Adam Driver, and Jonathan Price and Joaquin Phoenix uh, are doing, and I see stuff they've been doing a lot lately. And I don't see that from Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas is an actor who hasn't had an opportunity to prove himself like this in a really long time. And on top of it, it's a real capper on a career of excellent performances. That would be irrelevant if Pain and Glory wasn't an excellent film that was entirely anchored by his performance. Definitely. Uh, but fortunately, it is. So we can just say, and as a bonus, it's mm-hmm. a great career uh, tribute. You know, Pain and Glory's uh, uh, Pedro Almodovar movie uh, about Pedro Almodovar, basically. Mm-hmm. And Antonio Banderas has worked with him repeatedly throughout, I think, 40 years now. And there's a level of intimacy and understanding that I think Antonio Banderas brings to this character without having the big, shiny moments, the for-your-consideration clips Mm. that pretty much every other candidate has here. He's actually working on an incredibly subtle level, and when you really ponder everything you learn about the character – after you've seen the entire film and some of the key revelations about him don't happen until very late. When you really ponder how deftly he includes every complicated facet of his character Mm -hmm. in pain and glory, I think you see a, a performance of unexpected depth, humor, great sadness like un, like the, yeah. the Joaquin Phoenix's sadness feels so false and performative to me compared to what Banderas is doing I know they're different films but we are talking about comparing their performances mm-hmm. um I think Antonio Banderas gives I, mean, I haven't seen all of his films with Almodovar but based on what I've seen this is the best performance I've ever seen from him and I do think it's the best performance of the five nominees and I part of me hopes that maybe he can squeak it out because Pain and Glory is a, is a very respected film. I'm curious if Joker has enough buzz to really crank out the wins or if people are going to say, like, for example, when American Hustle got nominated for everything and won nothing. Yeah. People are like, we liked it enough to nominate it. Right. I don't know. We'll find out. So to talk about a few of the other contenders for a hot second here, and I, I love how on your podcast, I mean, it really speaks to me as a movie critic because you guys talk about the necessity to review films you don't like and to, to give negative reviews, to review some bad movies, to widen the palette. There's a million reasons, and I, I'd love you to repeat some of that here because it's like an old bedtime story. I need to hear it. I want to hear it kind of thing. You, you, you're not high on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and for different reasons, entirely different reasons, you're not high on Marriage Story. Do you think those performances still stand out uh, in those two movies from Driver and Leo? What, what do you think of those? Oh, I actually think those are two excellent performances. Yeah. 
Um, my issue with Marriage Story isn't that it's a bad film. I just find it somewhat unremarkable. Um, I think it says I, – I know some people who have been through divorce and said it spoke to them very directly. I have not. All I have is my own experience. And what I saw was a very competently made drama with some very good performances in it. Mm-hmm. And I think Adam Driver gives a very good performance, and I don't begrudge him his nomination for one second. Uh, when it comes to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, my issue – I do take issue with Brad Pitt's performance because – I actually think it sort of belies key elements that we learn about his character, but I actually think Leonardo DiCaprio gives one of his better performances in hmm. uh, Once Upon a Time in, in, in Hollywood. I was uh, When we were talking about, on one of my podcasts, we were reviewing every film in the Critters series. <laughs> and as some people know, Leonardo DiCaprio's first film was Critters 3. Yes, it was. <laughs> I remember very distinctly when uh, he was doing the rounds for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I was like, ah, yes. DiCaprio, well-respected actor, and unlike every other actor in Hollywood, he's never made a sequel. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> uh, you, can, you can see his IMDb page, right? He, it was like the first thing he did. I know it wasn't like a sellout picture, but it's still Critters 3. Um, and then people were like, well, that went straight to video, so it doesn't count. Yeah, it counts. Uh, but one, when we were talking about Critters 3 and we were watching young DiCaprio, who was a child actor, we realized that his acting style got locked in place really young. And you can see, even watching Critters 3, him doing the exact same like physical performance moves that he does in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's actually, like in, in many respects, kind of a constrictive character, uh, a- a- actor. I mean, we see him as a character actor, but mm-hmm. he's kind of building off of similar uh, characterizations almost every time. Well, now you're making me want to go watch Critters 3 immediately. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> if you're studying DiCaprio's performances, you'll see that, like, yeah, he, he, he has a style. And when you look at him in a movie where you're not distracted by how good the rest of the film is, it's a little obvious sometimes. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, however, does a really, really good job of giving DiCaprio so many different layers and levels to play Hmm. of performance there's scenes in that movie where dicaprio is on the verge of killing himself he talks about it i wish it played as less as a joke i know people laughed at it for me that was like one of the saddest scenes in the movie yeah. was when he's in his trailer and he's mad that he flubbed a line and he's literally talking about ending his own life and you know you can say he didn't mean it but that came from a really genuine place in that character and i believed it hmm. i really admire that there's a lot of vulnerability that comes from that but then you see him portraying his character in that movie lancer and you see him really is being very very good but not so amazingly good that you don't buy that he'd only be as good to get on an episode of lancer right you know and that's really really tricky it's hard for people who know how to do things well to do things less well sometimes like if you see like down yeah well like if you see like a, a martial arts movie for example where someone who clearly knows martial arts has to pretend not to like, if you look at, like, Jackie Chan in the tuxedo, for example, where the whole gag is, he doesn't know martial arts, but he puts on this high-tech tuxedo, and the tuxedo does all the work. It, you don't buy it, really, because Jackie Chan is uh, as talented as he is. He he can't play a novice anymore. It's just there's too much baggage there. It reminds me of Bernard King in Fast Break, which I just watched with my father playing with all the schmoes in that movie, by the way, because he's an go. actually six seven, you know, all-NBA player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly, it's difficult, and it's hard to buy it from an audience. And I think DiCaprio does that. And then you see DiCaprio pretending to be 
the type of person he wants to be. Like when you see him in that scene with Al Pacino and he's putting on airs of, of his own greatness. And then once he's like alone with Brad Pitt, this person with whom he can be himself, you see he doesn't like himself very much. He doesn't have a high opinion of himself. He's terrified his career is over. There's a lot of complexity to that performance. I really do like this performance from DiCaprio a lot. And if this wins, I'm not – even though I don't think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood works as a film – for a lot of reasons, everything from uh, pacing to character development to the uh, frustrating way it, ha it handles real-life events. Um, I'm not going to take anything away from DiCaprio's performance. It's not what I'd vote for, but only by a slim margin. He's really good in this. I love that we had you on because you're the only critic that can believably weave in reviews of <laughs> Critters 3, Fast yes. Break, The Tuxedo, <laughs> when talking dissecting the best actor category. And that was such a treat to listen to. <laughs> um, thank you for that. But I, I, I know you're kind of, we, we can only have it for a short while, so we'll start wrapping up. I can, I, up. We'll I can start... be here for a bit. I can be here for a bit. We'll oh, okay. Up. Awesome. Which I guess to transition to one of the more fun and, and maybe some questions. It's some a hammy question. It's a, it's a goofy question. You go by many names, obviously. Yes. William Bibiani, Bibbs. <laughs> the one that I first knew you by and how I first came to know your work mm -hmm. was The Beast, obviously, in the Schmodown, which we are huge fans of here at MMO. Mm -hmm. If you had to pick these nominees, again, it's a bit of a hammy question, but we have Phoenix's Joker, Price's Pope, Leo's Rick Dalton, Adam Driver's Divorcer, Antonio's impersonation of Amodovar. Which of those do you think would be a, the best character for the movie trivia showdown? Or who would the Beast want to maybe go most up against? Parody, basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking right now. I feel like as a character on the showdown. I think Jonathan Price would be hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I told <laughs> like, that you'd say Pope. Because, like, the Joker, okay, I, you can totally see someone doing that. DiCaprio, I can totally see someone doing, like, a DiCaprio entrance and doing a whole character. Adam Driver, he's just playing a theater director. He's really not, like, a distinct, funny character there. And Antonio Banderas, he's just playing a director. If I had a picture of someone I'd want to, like, be my partner... It would be uh, Salvador Malo from uh, uh, Pain and Glory. True. <laughs> Those movies. Yes. If I had to pick like a character to join us, the Pope. It's <laughs> a great character. That's, yeah. It would be a hilarious character on the Schmodown. That'd be a great. Oh, I kind of want to try that. Now. I think you should. Oh, good. Oh, we might have sparked something. <laughs> I, think that would be, I think that would be like, I'm not a religious person, but I think that would be like arguably like hurt some feelings if we like put the Pope on as a character. Uh, but it's a funny idea, and I actually do like Jonathan Price in that role a lot. I I heard that he was dubbed for when he was in speaking yeah. Spanish, which I gotta take away some points for mm -hmm. that. Um, just as I take away points from Rami Malek for lip syncing. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, he's otherwise he gives a really great performance. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Price. So I guess looking at the entire year of best actors here and. Yeah. You know, the, the nominees and the, and the snubs. I mean, we get this from everybody. And I, I, from your show, it seems like a little higher on maybe a Taron Edgerton, a little higher on Eddie Murphy. But who are your snubs this year? The Sandman, who are your snubs this year in this category? Who should have um, gotten nominated? You know, I, I actually wasn't prepared for that. So let me think for a Sorry. <laughs> I tried to no, leave. No, no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Just give me, give, like, like. I do think Eddie Murphy should have been nominated. I think he gives a really wonderful performance and it's really great to see him engaged on that level. Um, so I would, yeah, he's definitely someone who uh, I would seriously consider. 
Yeah, I think the two that come to mind as the biggest, like, I definitely would have voted for these two, besides Eddie Murphy and I think even Taron Egerton, but mm-hmm. I definitely would have made space for Robert Pattinson in The Lighthouse. Nice. Yeah. I think that is a really – we talk a lot about performances that are brave. Mm. I don't think that's a brave performance. What I do think is that that's a performance that throws all caution to the wind. <laughs> I think that's an almost – like that's that's just him like diving into just bizarre ideas and characterizations. <laughs> and I can't imagine an actor doing that better except maybe Willem Dafoe. Who right. I also think, uh, uh, and the other actor who – you know what? God bless him. Adam Sandler should have been nominated. Wow. Uh-huh. I love it. I, I fully I fully admit it. I am not a fan of the majority of Adam Sandler's movies. I think he often goes for the lowest common denominator, and I think he's found, a, a, at least as far as humor goes, and I think he's comfortable there, and I don't think he pushes himself very far. And yet when he does, in particular with something like Uncut Gems or Punch Drunk Love, uh, he is capable of giving a truly excellent, nuanced performance. And I actually, not only would I have nominated him, I might have voted for him. I think he's wow. really fantastic in that movie. That's a big praise from, from such an esteemed critic as yourself. And I, I again, we Pasha, echo... Again, I say. Again, I say Pasha. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, again, echo what you say. We were both very high on uh, on Sandler's performance, although we are more of the, the suckers that kind of do get into... Not Jack and Jill. We're not that low, lowly gratified no. by that kind of humor, but like... Everyone's early help, Sandler. Right? Yeah, we, yeah. Well, we well, grew Sandler, up... Early Sandler was like... Um, he was He was actually like... There was more heart, I think, in early Sandler. Yeah. Like you look at the Happy Gilmores and the Billy Madisons and even the Waterboy. He was really concerned about connecting to people on kind of a kind level. And then his weird asides and his, you know, angry rages would be a counterpoint to that. And then after a while, it's like he just sort of gave up on being like decent and realized that people just want to see him be cruel. Right. And so we got at stuff like Jack and Jill, the ridiculous six and uh, whatever. I can't remember that one he did with David or Zohan. Uh, I I didn't see Zohan, but the one he did with David Spade a couple of years ago where um, they like faked their own deaths. Oh, the Netflix one. No, I didn't watch that either. Terrible. Oh, that's my boy is like incredibly irresponsible. Like just morally, (laughs) like it's just, it's such an evil motion picture. Yeah so many ways and i get it look you're allowed to like it It, it's totally fine i can't find that funny i think it goes past good taste and then hits the accelerator and then just goes on even further i'm making Um, quite the playlist tonight off your suggestion so we got critters three i gotta rewatch that's my boy (laughs) now the tuxedo's in there really have to do that Uh, (laughs) no but i'm not i'm not a huge fan of quite a few films and but when he makes a great motion picture and gives a great performance you give him his due. I, I wish he gave a great performance all the time. Like right. I, I, up until this again, I think, you know, I think he topped out at punch drunk love. And then I think his hotel Transylvania movies are a delight, but I think this is his best film. I, I really do. I think uncut gems is really spectacular. Again, I say, I mean, that's, that's high praise. And we, we happen to agree with you across the board there from, from your take. Um, I guess we could start wrapping up with this. I do. It is kind of a long question. So I apologize in advance for how wordy it's going to be, but I am uh, furiously interested in what your thoughts are on it. We've recently had a guest on here talking about the actress categories, both lead and supporting. 
And she noted basically that these nominees were praised and highlighted and if not completely nominated in large part because of the nominees, their ability to portray maternal roles. And if you juxtapose that idea against the nominees here for lead actor, we have five men who all play a version of a character who seem to be at a personal crossroads unto themselves where mm-hmm. being framed primarily as having anything to do with their own families is pretty much reduced to maybe a character trait of theirs, except for Adam Driver, which is where the main conflict comes from. Right. My question is, since this really isn't a new phenomenon, as someone who studied this for years of you, as you have, uh, do you see these noms playing their part in that gender divide? Or is this, this year, do you chalk it more up to coincidence and give the Academy credit for being more diversified as it has tried to do in the more recent years? Or is this pretty much just more of the same issue that we kind of have had a few times? I think it's more of the same in general. Um, the Academy, the, the Academy has been making strides and, and, and it's overdue, but let's give them credit. They're trying to, uh, add more people to the voter base. They're trying to have more diverse voices uh, throughout a variety of different disciplines, which is really important because, you know, you actually have to add different voices to each category because with the exception of Best Picture, everyone only votes for whatever guild they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and sometimes we've seen that help. However, what we've seen over the last couple of years in particular is the Academy just Movies are made typically with a target demographic in mind. Mm. I think it's fair to say. Whether it's the the target demographic of Adam Sandler comedies, people who like sort of adolescent humor, uh, or, uh, you know, the target demographic of, um, I don't know, Quentin Tarantino movies, people who like sort of retro chic and um, sort of explorations of typically masculinity and violence. The Academy is a demographic unto itself, and they have stuff that they like. And I think because they codify year after year what they like, I think it leaves them open to very reasonable criticism over what they tend to gravitate to. Case in point, um, it's been brought up a lot, that who is the one woman of color who is nominated for Best Actress? Cynthia Erivo. Right. She's great. I think she's a really excellent actress. But what's the role that they thought that the Academy like really loved yeah. a person of color playing this year? Harry right. Tubman, a, a slave right. who, who again starts the Underground Railroad and does incredibly heroic things. I I'm not as like critical of that movie as some people, but like I yeah, it, that's the thing that the Academy likes to see apparently, as opposed to. A variety, a wide variety of other more interesting, diverse types of roles. It is a crime that Lapita Nyong'o wasn't nominated. Mm, your lips to God's ears, Bibbs. And listen, I know it's subjective, but seriously, yep. I will take the Pepsi challenge. Like, you watch them back-to-back. You watch back-to-back Us, and you watch Bombshell, and you tell me that Charlie Theron deserves an Academy Award nomination more than Lupita Nyong'o. And that is not a dig at Charlize Theron. She's really good in that movie. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying is how good Lupita Nyong'o is. Right. We're just sitting here nodding along as you speak. Yeah. I, I The Academy has a type. They have a group of, of types of performances. They love people in biopics. You know, three of them nominated uh, uh, in Best Actress. We got, um, 
let's see, two nominated in supporting actress, although one of them is a composite character. Uh, we've got four uh, actors nominated uh, in biopics in best supporting actor. And then in best actor, we've okay, we've only got two in best actor, but still, that's a that's a genre they love. Mm. Yeah. More so, I think, than re- almost any other demo. They have it. And I think that's something that I think is fair to take them to task for. It's like, hey, you guys need to watch more movies and maybe consider expanding what you value because that's something that we can actually learn. You know, as Ebert said, you know, movies are machines that produce empathy. Well, that was going to be my question. How do you fix yeah. this? How do you fix the, the falling into the stereotype of like that they have? I, again, I, I wish I had an answer. Yeah. I think if the answer was easy, we'd have done it by now. Uh, I think we have to – I don't know. I, I, a part of me wonders if maybe you know the, the Academy should go out of their way to encourage people to consider other roles. But I don't know what – or other types of films. But I don't know how to tell them to do that other than write a polite note in an email. Right. Just say, hey, this year, really try to watch more movies. <laughs> Yeah, they make a streaming service where, yeah, you can watch all the international shortlist films, but how many really do? And the small measures. Yeah. No, exactly. And and, and again, a lot of people, and this is fair, a lot of people voting for the Academy Awards are actively working in the industry. They don't necessarily have time to see everything. Sure. Definitely. Frankly, no one has time to see everything. Everyone's doing, I hope, the best they can. I'm sure there are people who are not, but I think everyone is a lot of people are at least trying to take this seriously. But you got to remember that much like any sort of voting system, it's a popularity contest. And although people are, I'm sure a wide variety of people nominated interesting people from across a variety of films, what ultimately mattered is who got the most votes. These are not necessarily the five best performances of the year. These are the five performances that we could get people to agree on the most. Right. And that's something that maybe we should value a little less. But I, again, I don't have the answer to this. We're, we're, we're trying to diversify uh, the Academy voters. That's an ongoing process that will take time to, to actually dramatically shift the uh, uh, proper makeup of the Academy. Um, I think it's long overdue. I think it's necessary. But, you know, it will take time for that to really take hold. Um but I think what we can do as critics and pundits and as Oscar pundits in particular is I think we have a responsibility to keep these other movies alive in the conversation and not take it for granted, you know, like in like November, what the nominees are going to be. I think that's a dangerous, slippery slope where people start saying, you know, oh, these people are out of the conversation. No, they're not. No one's voted. We need to actually, like, constantly, like, use our best judgment, use our own sense of taste, and try to raise awareness of these movies. You know, the thing is, ultimately, Lupita Nyong'o's performance in Us, just to cite one example of a a really obvious snub, or Tony Collette's performance in Hereditary from the Mm. other year, those performances, I think, are going to stand the test of time. Whether they win or not, people will go back to them and they will admire those performances no matter what. There's a lot of performances that because they weren't nominated for the Academy Awards, 
people have suddenly stopped talking about them. They were talking about them for months. They weren't nominated. And now we're not talking about them anymore. That sucks. Yeah. I think the greatest value of the Academy Awards is its ability to raise awareness of movies and actors and filmmakers and even different disciplines within cinema to people who otherwise might not be aware of them. And as a result, we need to take that res- that responsibility seriously and not put all of our attention, and again, even on a punditry level, on the same films all the time. We need to go out of our way to make sure that we are spreading the love to other as many movies that, that deserve it as we can find. And I think once we start keeping these movies as part of the conversation, once we do, because I think, Sometimes Oscar pundits sometimes miss the fact that they are actually contributing to how nominatable a movie is just by keeping it like, ooh, have you heard the buzz? Sure. I I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I can't nominate until I've seen Marriage Story. They knew about Marriage Story. Did they know about Portrait of a Lady on Fire? I'm not sure everyone did. So – that's, I think, something that we can do. We need to keep having this conversation. We need to keep taking the Academy to task every time – they end up with a slate of nominees who are, you know, God forbid, all white ever again. I mean, like, what are the what are the odds? Infinitesimal that that is just an accident. Right. At least subconscious bias, if not worse. Mm-hmm. We need to take them to task. We need to keep the conversation going. And we need to not let the Academy Awards be the end all be all of our conversation of what good cinema is, because the Academy Awards struggle to stay relevant. And in order, if, if in order to be relevant, they need to expand their awareness and expand their, their base. Eventually they're going to do it. So we just can't give up. I have a great respect for Lon Harris and for the Schmodown in general, (laughs) but I think you need to talk to him about getting the professor, the moniker added to your name, professor Beast. Because (laughs) I feel like I just was sitting in like critic school and it was awesome. And thank you uh, so much for that. I feel like I that, can run through a wall for this yeah. man right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 that was a great pep talk. I appreciate that, it. That's very kind of you. Thank you very much. But I, you know, we're here because we're doing a podcast right now because we take these things seriously. Not everyone does, yeah, and that's okay. But like, part of our job is to just remind people why it's worth taking these things seriously. And I do think that the Academy Awards are a, are a very important part of the industry, not just because they placate the actors. I mean, they were literally invented to keep actors happy. Right. You know, just like, Oh, give them an award. They'll feel better. Like that's <laughs> what the studio system was at the time. <laughs> but like it, the, the good that it does is it raises awareness of different films. And if we're not raising awareness of actually different films, then we're wasting an opportunity. So, yeah, I think we need to do our part, and if we do our part, eventually the Academy will figure it out too. That's a slow process. I'm sure there's more we can do. There are other way more insightful people talking about this, starting trending hashtags, starting whole movements. Um, you know, Oscar's so white. Obviously, that was a huge cultural moment, I think, yeah. in the entertainment industry and uh, should never be forgotten and should be come back every single year until it's not relevant anymore, hopefully sooner than later. agree. But, um, yeah, we're all doing the best we can because we love this stuff and we want to share our love of it. And, yeah, we all have work to do. I, it, it, 
that's beautiful. Beautifully said. Thank you thank for the you. insight. I, I mean, thank you for spending your time with us and giving us a piece of your mind. But that was extremely, extremely well said, and we could not be more grateful for that and for her, having you on the show and you agreeing to come on. And it was a thrill. We got to do this again because that was amazing. I, I really, really appreciate it, Bibbs. And, and Send our, us to do thanks. your bidding. We will join yeah, the cult. We're ready. We're ready. We're, we're ready. at the Church of Bibbs. We're I have up. cult follower eyes right now. <laughs> you oh. should be the Pope, you see? This yeah. is all coming full circle. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> No, I look terrible in hats. <laughs> <laughs> William Viviani, you can go check out his work. We'll give you all the plugs of his at the end of this episode, as we did at the beginning. But thank you so much, Bibbs, once again. Thank and we you. hope to have you back soon. Thank you very much. Once again, our thanks to William Bibiani. A great pleasure to talk to him. We pivot now into the traditional category review portion of this podcast. And if you've not joined us before for what a traditional category review is, what they are is Mike and I will take the five nominees that the Academy has given us and we will go through them one by one, giving you reasons why each nominee will win on Oscar Sunday and why each one will not win on Oscar Sunday, no matter how heavy the favorite, as there is one in this category for certain. The way we start the traditional category review section, though, before getting into those reasons, is we run down some category snubs, some people that we thought, hoped, possible, might make it at some point, unfortunately fell short. What do we have, Mike? Paul Walter Hauser, Richard yeah. Jewell, he's our number one snub. He was awesome. We're his number one fans, though, mm-hmm. so we're slightly biased, but uh, <laughs> we're we're really excited about the work he's doing, and I mean, look, he crushed in that role. Yeah, he he should have been nominated for much more throughout this award season. I think he got tabbed into a lot of breakthrough actor categories, yep. which is cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad to see that. He, he's getting moments throughout the you know award season there, so he'll be knocking on the door this year and hopefully bursting through in the the coming seasons, Mike Kelvin Harrison Jr. is another name uh, like that, both in loose and in waves. In my my case here, I loved him in waves. I thought it was a tremendous performance. It was extremely emotional. It was relatable to me working with kids this age. I, I just thought he did a tremendous job. The way you listed these now made me realize I want a Paul Walter Hauser Kelvin Harrison vehicle. I'd like to see them star yeah, alongside one another. That sounds like an A24 movie if I've ever heard one. How about pitched. this next uh, tandem? Yeah, he could be the father figure, Robert De Niro. <laughs> from the Irishman, that's someone I thought actually might break through, despite his not being nominated any yes. precursors along the way here. A lot of people were very high on him, and why wouldn't you be? He's, of course, a legend. As is Eddie Murphy for Dolomite Is My Name, who did make the Golden Globes field for Best Actor. He had quite the momentum spurt, I guess, in early January. People thought maybe that would carry him to an Academy nomination. It unfortunately was not to be. Again, Dolomite, I have never heard. Also, Mike laugh harder more consecutive times in my entire I existence. Wonder, I wonder if he had too many scenes in the mirror. I wonder if they cancel <laughs> each other out. Law of diminishing returns there. Because it wasn't just one and it wasn't just two. I think it was three scenes in the mirror. <laughs> They've just studied the past uh, nominees <laughs> from every recent year. and That's the secret. That, Gotta have that mirror scene. Yeah, but they might have overdid yeah. it. I don't know. It looked Oscar grabby, I, I guess. He's going to the dice roll too much. <laughs> Robert Pattinson from The Lighthouse was so darn good. I just rewatched that one. He's a crazy person. And to think <laughs> that that semen, right, is going to be Batman, Bruce Wayne. Yeah is just blowing my mind right now. So I'm really excited for Bruce Wayne. I mean, this guy's got range. What a terrific actor he is. And look, I mean, we didn't love Rocket Man as a film. No. I, th- I mean, I thought it was an okay movie. It was it's like B minus, yeah, fine, fine, C plus, somewhere in there. But Taron Edgerton from Rocket Man, you know, he is such a movie star, like William Bibiani said on, on his show. I mean, he cemented his career, like, like those guys said, and critically acclaimed. And I think this kid is going to have the brightest future like this kid. Well, he's a kid to 
us, I guess, because we're officially it's old. Whipper snapper. We're in our mid thirties. Barely out of the womb. <laughs> Darren Edgerton is going to be a force to be reckoned with, uh, and this was a, a real showcase for him. Yeah, and his role and his portrayal of Elton John, you know, despite how we feel about the movie overall, was far and away the best part. Yes. Still a little surprised that didn't get a makeup nom for that bald cap because he did look legitimately like Elton John. They did a great job there. He looked bald. Yeah, he, he did looked balding, which is harder to do bald, than bald. Right. That's a right. good point. Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. I hadn't done the research. I should have, but National Board of Review winner for Best Actor doesn't make the Best Actor field here at the Oscars. That's a little odd, I mm, think. Mm. Brad Pitt for Ad Astra could be a case of maybe not enough people saw the movie. Maybe people are throwing their support behind him in the supporting actor right. race. Maybe they think the supporting actor race is all sewn up, so why nominate him twice? I don't know, but Ad Astra, like Rocket Man, as a matter of fact, definitely had its fans this year. Matthias Schonarts, and I'm, I should look up the, the pronunciations of these great actors. I'm a jerk. <laughs> I love the Mustang. Matthias Schoner? Yeah, either one. He was awesome. And I think uh, Jamie Bell from Skin is another like indie movie this year that uh, just really blew me away in terms of an up-and-comer that's going to be nominated at some point in the next 10 years for sure, maybe the next five years, because they're, they're doing one performance after the next that is turning heads. Schoenarts came out, that Mustang movie came out very early in the year, I think yes. April. March well, it was directed April. by a woman, woman, so of course they can't give it a you know marquee time slot. <laughs> yeah, God for Jesus. The no, that should have played throughout award season better. It yeah, really well, should have. There was also people were desperate for an Oscars contender at that time, so right. he got he did get a boost. But you're right. I mean, it, it came out way too early to, to sustain the kind of momentum it was for as small a film and how little resource was yeah. put behind it for marketing purposes. Uh, George McKay, 1917, as well. Matthew Reese from A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. You can throw Christian Bale from Ford v Ferrari in there as well. Mm-hmm. All had legitimate claims. Bale probably the most legitimate, being nominated mm-hmm. at a couple places there. Golden Globe and SAG. Yeah, we reviewed him. We were in favor. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya from Queen and Slim. Uh, he's good as always now. Yeah. I wonder if that's where, you know, he got slotted this year. Like, this is a strong Daniel Kaluuya performance. It's not Get Out, though, so we can't, we can't top right. that mountain, he's climb that, that mountain that with Jordan him again. Peele problem with the same movie there. Maybe. Uh, Ed Norton from Motherless Brooklyn. Uh, he actually pulled off the affliction, I thought, in the movie. He made it sympathetic, empathic. He did a nice job with it, and I, I, I thought he was good in the rest of the film as well. I don't know if that movie's going to hold up on rewatch for me, Motherless Brooklyn. I, still have, I have no desire. To I'm kind of curious to rewatch it yeah. though because it's kind of fun. It's a dad movie. Maybe I'll watch it with my dad. <laughs> I I mm. guess maybe if I pull out like a corn cob pipe and a uh, what do you call those hats? The fedora, <laughs> no. the flat top thing. I think if you listen to the song, that's probably enough for you. That's, that's, it. that's yeah. what you need to do. <laughs> like it. not the Tom York version either. The jazz version. Right. You'll enjoy right. that once. Yeah, and that's it. That'll be my review of Motherless Brooklyn. <laughs> this song is okay. Solid. All right, let's go through the nominees here. We will give you reasons why each one will and will not win the Academy Award on Oscar Sunday. At the end of this, we'll finish off this episode with perfecting perfection. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. We'll have an explanation for that. So. Stay Stay tuned, but let's start in alphabetical order, saving also the, I mean, it works for alphabetical order, but we're saving the favorite for last anyway. Antonio Banderas, Michael, pain and glory. Why will Antonio Banderas pull off the upset and win? He has won six precursor awards. He was an early favorite for a nomination, I think. Look, his career is fascinating, and Mr. Feinberg covers this so well on his interview of Banderas on the Awards Chatter podcast. I love that interview. It's almost too sexy with the voice (laughs) right in your face. I mean, it's glorious. How did my shirt get off? (laughs) What am I doing? (laughs) 
there's also this about time narrative for his yes. career arc. Uh, he he has one of those careers where yes, he's obviously you know, an American movie star, and he's a uniquely American movie star in many ways, but he was a great character actor for almost a decade in Spain, and a lot of that for Almodovar, before he even comes over here and gets popular, before he does the Mariachi or the Mambo Kings, before he, you know, is in the the Shreks and the Puss in Boots and the Spy Kids and the Zorro roles. I mean, he, he's been a million action movies there in the 90s and 2000s, but throughout his career... He's doing things, like I said, the Mambo Kings, Philadelphia, Frida. I mean, this guy is acting in strong films within all those other movies. I wish he did a bit more of that because he's capable. Like, his role in Philadelphia, I rewatched, I think, at the beginning of the year. Terrific. He's terrific in that film. And if he does, like, five more of those roles, he's getting nominated. Yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, the closing line there. But that's also a reason why he probably isn't pulling off the upset here. Mm. I I don't have much. Uh, pain and glory. Like, I have this thing in the back of my head that Antonio Banderas is the only person in this category who could pull off an upset. Yeah. I tried finding things to base that on. It's hard. There's not much. I don't think it's. I don't think anyone pulls off the upset. To be quite honest with you, and obviously, if the Oscars release their voting, it would be easier for us to know who finishes second. But but he's got holes in his resume. So yeah, he certainly he's does, lose, and yeah. it's an easier case to make why he will lose. Obviously, no SAG nomination, no BAFTA nomination. With those two omissions on his resume, I'm a little like amazed he's here at all. Sure. With the giant crossover between those two voting bodies, and but like I said, I do think there's something in the back of my head that says he can pull off the upset, but if you go based on resume, if you go based on history, and go based on how this award season has gone, he's probably the fourth or fifth name that got into this field, yeah. and if he were to pull off the upset, he's going to have to do something that's never been done before, which I'm going to get to in a few names down the line here as we go. Right. So, again, an easier case to make, yes, he's the pro's pro, yes, he's this chameleon with all these characters he's able to pull off, and yes, I do think he's probably another role or three away from being a more serious threat, I just don't think it's his year yet. As for the performance, I think, I mean, it's a very reserved one. It's, it's, it's a tough not, movie. It's not a showy performance. It's one of those that I think will play on the branch with further study or at least play on me with further yeah. study. Because based on my experience, I doubt you watch this movie once and you're blown away yeah. by Antonio Banderas. Now, I guess I'm kind of wrong, though, because the people who voted Got for him nominated. must have been. So maybe it's an actor's actor's performance. I don't know what that means exactly. I just know it's <laughs> redundant. But I think uh, I think that the point of somebody changing their vote after the nominations come out, it's unlikely for this yeah. to, for this to happen. Even though the streaming service puts out all the shortlisted films, I'm sure they left them out there for international film for people to watch fairly easily. It's got two nominations now, so maybe that's a feather in his cap. It pushes the screener atop people's piles. I, I don't know. It doesn't look good for Antonio Banderas. Though. It's not the easiest movie to get through either in yeah. this award season. With a not the easiest movie. Uh, it's easier than another movie in this category to get through. You could probably yeah. argue, but it's not the easiest movie in award season. All to right. finish off. Well, you got a lot of fire minutes. here, Mike. Why is Leonardo DiCaprio going to win this thing? Oh, um, because God exists. <laughs> and he wants all of us to live, maybe not in a world that makes us all happy as can be, but at least in one that is right and just. I have a feeling I'm going to be saying more about this, ironically, in our Best Picture episode with the guest we have booked there. But for now, there's a little tease. I'll say the same thing about Leo's Hollywood performance that I've been saying since we reviewed the damn film for three hours over two episodes this past summer. True. 
What's Eating Gilbert Grape, The Basketball Diaries, Romeo and Juliet, Titanic, Gangs of New York, Catch Me If You Can, The Aviator, The Departed, Blood Diamond, Revolutionary War, Shutter Island, Inception, Django Unchained, Wolf of Wall Street. The guy's been throwing 98 on the black going into his fourth decade now in film. This performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood inarguably is one of his at worst top three performances of his career how you can take this performance from such a legendary career which by the way is arguably the most legendary career going right now amongst any actor under 50 years of age and just kind of cast it aside as an also ran in this category all of the academy and like 65 percent of film twitter should all be ashamed of themselves for this so I've been with you on the merits of this Leo performance. Uh, Rick fucking Dalton is getting shortchanged this award yeah. season. He shouldn't have gotten shut out. Uh, no. Somebody should yes. have picked him. At the, I mean, I know he, he got a few precursors, but it, not enough. Uh, to me, it all started at the Golden Globes. Yeah. If he wins at the Globes over Taron Edgerton, who winds up not getting nominated, right. I think the whole perception has changed Could there. Be. Look, it doesn't guarantee him a thing. We've all gone over those stats, but it might give him a puncher's chance like it did for Bale last year because Bale would go on to win the Critics' Choice yeah. last year afterwards. So it looked like more of a race uh, for Christian Bale from Vice and Rami Malek. It might have hurt him that he was in comedy or musical the same way it might have hurt Bale. I don't know, but I definitely bring this back to the Globes and... Ironically, I have a stat from the Globes that does give him hope, though. <laughs> All right. Because this is the While He'll Win I segment. And, and I always, for whatever reason, just have to argue Your with you in this segment. Your instinct is just to just fight me. Just push back on everything I, I say. I, I'm trying to make good radio. Count, point, counterpoint. All right, here we go. The last two times Oscar went against the Globe drama winners. Phoenix is that this year. Sean Penn got his second instead of Mickey Rourke's first in 2008. Oh, I like and this. Denzel Washington got his second in 2001. Look, like that's that. a flimsy stat. No, but that's enough for me to hang my hopes on. Leo's it's a lock. enough to push back <laughs> against the second-timer narrative. It's enough to, uh, to say that the early favorite probability has to follow through. Look, in those years, to be fair... Mm -hmm. You didn't have a dominant sweep right. like you have now right. with Joaquin. And that's probably why we got to get into why Leo is going to lose this thing. Because God died in a nightclub no. in the 70s when someone <laughs> cut his Coke with baking soda. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll tell you whose fault this all is, Mike, to be sincere. It's okay. the Golden Globes in part, but it's also the best acting category from 2016 or whenever Leo won his first one for The Revenant. Huh. Because that stupid narrative that seems to only apply to Leo and not Renee Zellweger or anybody else this year, yeah. that you can't win your second one if you just won your first or if you've had one in the last decade or so or whatever. I know Renee's been 15 years, but I guess that's the cutoff. 14 years. How dare you? Even though Daniel Day-Lewis won two within a four years. Don't get me started. Anyway. <laughs> If there was a better acting category and more serious nominees to go against Leo in 2016, to go against his Revenant performance, because I think Leo in that year suffered from what Laura Dern suffers from this year, the whole, that's not the best performance of that legendary career, but he's been up here enough times, so let's finally give him his first Oscar, and I think that's really hurting his chances here. I refuse to give any other real reasons why he'll lose. Can we take a quick look back <laughs> at the 2016? Because, remember, he did like three performances, at least, yeah. where it was like, that is an Oscar-winning, right. you know, performance, or at least in a lot of people's eyes, that's an Oscar-worthy performance. 
And then he goes and lives outside for like six months with uh, Inaritu. Yeah, right. <laughs> guys, like, guys like breaking his back, going back in time, living like an actual pilgrim. So how do you not right. give him after he suffers for his craft, after mastering his craft beforehand? I don't know. I it's, hate everything about this narrative. I it just don't. Makes it, me feel wrong. Yeah, but I don't dislike bad. that 2016 Revenant performance. But it's no, not I don't his either. best. Right? Exactly. That's my whole point. And that's this might be one of his best. And he's getting cut off and shunned because oh, you just won it a couple years ago. I, why does that matter? It shouldn't. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing. Everyone out there listening to this and who's ever listened to us and is sick of me ramping about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> and Leo specifically this whole year in two years. You're going to have a snubbed Scorsese, who's likely not winning Best Director or Best Picture, or much of anything with The Irishman this year. Mm -hmm. A snubbed Leo. Mm -hmm. A snubbed and not nominated De Niro, all teaming up for a movie, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, that's coming out. If you thought I was insufferable to listen to this year, the year of our Lord 2019, (laughs) you all just wait, all right? Because it's coming. Am I going to have to form an irrational grudge against that movie? For the good of the pod? No. You can come with me, Mike. I, we can do this together. But the whole point counterpoint thing, I set this up earlier. This is kind of how it should go. No, Forget I, good radio. <laughs> they don't need it. We've given them enough. Come down the rabbit hole. We're Mike, Mike, and Asker. When reality sucks, confirmation bias. When reality sucks, screw you. <laughs> Oh, my God. All right, look, your upcoming stats on Joaquin Phoenix are probably going to eliminate Leo here, so we'll save that. But I do have another one. The last time a Golden Globe lead actor in a musical or comedy loser won Best Actor at the Academy Awards was Yule Brenner. We all remember it. From The King and I. (laughs) We were all sitting glued to our TVs. 1956. TVs were barely out by then. Yeah. So the, the only times... Golden Globe comedy or musical anything's have won is when they won the Golden Globe comedy or musical. Yeah, it's not. That's not a good stat. That doesn't hearken a lot of. It's kind of like the comedy or musical stat from when well, in Best Picture. Best Picture yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood too. Sixties, unfortunately. Oh, it's going to be a damn shame that one's going to come true this year, and you're all going to be wrong, <laughs> and I'm going to be standing on top of my mountain. I can tell you why Adam Driver's going to win though, Mike. Okay, let's go. Good setup for yourself. <laughs> So Marriage Story fell off a cliff in terms of momentum. We've mentioned that a few times, obviously. And it seems like the high point of the year for that film, Marriage Story, is going to be the celebration it had at the Gothams where it pretty much took everything it could. But Driver's still campaigning, and he's still pretty damn likable. I mean, he just hosted SNL last week, and he crushed it again. Yeah. And it's not like it's his fault the movie has kind of hit E right before the finish line, right? They're not going to hold that against him, per se. Maybe they hold it against Netflix more than anything else. So there exists a world in which Driver, who's been number two for this whole lead-up pretty much, becomes the de facto choice for Oscar number one if enough people are put off by Joker, right? Look, Joaquin Phoenix does have one more chance to rap during his (laughs) acceptance speech. I mean, if he's rapping at BAFTA, then it's quite possible... A de facto choice becomes very necessary, especially if he's rapping about, you know, politics. And it's not even good rapping. Like he does one of those non-rhyming rap. Thank you for this award. It means a lot. (laughs) 
No wonky. Has he ever done good rapping? Fair right? point. Fair counterpoint. All right, look, You're right. I'm this just, is good I'm radio. I'm not trying to not trying to crush <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix's rap career, but I'm trying to crush Joaquin Phoenix's rap career. I just watched recently when he went back on Letterman to apologize to Dave for giving that uh, uh, you were never really here like yeah. like facade he did, and oh he God. Letterman was killing him. It's it's a great watch. Right. I do recommend everyone go seek that out. Uh, look, if you think the meme scenes are acted well by Adam Driver this performance could become that de facto choice. If you think Joaquin Phoenix is going to fumble at the one-yard line, yeah. then absolutely, it could happen. If you think he's going to go on Letterman before, <laughs> you know, February, uh, was it 4th or 2nd, whatever it is. Right. I think, no, the Baptist is the 2nd, and then the 4th fourth fourth is the closing, the closing of, uh, of the Oscars, Oscars uh, voting. voting. So, you know, you could have a, a situation where he becomes toxic at the last minute. I'm not throwing that out the window. It's and, an interesting argument had he fumbled his speech at SAG. Because then he'd be in two in a row, and then if he does it again at BAFTA, maybe that, that rubs enough people the wrong way. He should give a Joe Pesci speech at BAFTA. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. I love you all. Yeah. You're wonderful. Or just go completely the other way and go into this 14-minute long dialogue about why he was <laughs> screwed out of the first win for the Master a couple years ago. <laughs> I should have one of these already, you know. <laughs> I don't know what he's gonna do. I'm I'm curious to watch though. We're All to, right. I have to get into one actual point though. Okay. In favor of Adam Driver. Sure. There's poise. There's nuance. There's subtlety. There's quiet. There's stoicism. There's there's that reserved actors actors performance here. Now there's also memes <laughs> to the performance. So I wonder if folks think that the meme worthy scenes are well acted and rival some of the things that Joaquin does. But you also get the other kind of performance in there that that wins a lot of Oscars. So let's be honest. Or the voters that just plain didn't see Joker and figure <laughs> or see either movie really and figure, well, I've been on Twitter. I saw that meme. That looks like a best actor winning. Game. How many nominations did uh, Joker get yeah, that they didn't see it? You're probably, yeah, they they probably did see them all. Well, let's pivot then and let's talk about why Adam Driver will not win the best actor category. Because for all the reasons I just mentioned in favor of Driver's performance and the merit-based argument there, we could have some cannibalization here because if you love the quiet, the reserve, the stoic, the disciplined acting, the actor's actor's performance, then why not vote for Price and Banderas, yeah. who actually played it through the whole time and didn't go for memes at seven different explosion points? Yeah, well, I, well, uh, yeah, I was going to say because they actually have Netflix in their house, but then you would still go for <laughs> Price anyway. So that's probably a fair point. Yeah. Also... My reason why he'll lose is is what I already cited. Marriage Story has lost all momentum in pretty much every category except supporting actress. There's a billion reasons we can theorize as to why, but hmm. this category as recently as two months ago was shaping up to be a two-man race, and ironically in a race involving things, the driver is the one that got left behind. I'll take my drum roll and cymbal clash oh, now, please. Oh, the dad jokes. Here we go. <laughs> we talk about radio fundamentals early, and then we talk about dad jokes in the middle. We, we come for the comedy! What are we going to finish with now? Uh, I think New York favorites, like Marriage Story, like you know winners of Gotham. I mean, we've seen Gotham Awards winners when we were doing those stats go the distance, like Moonlight, like uh, Birdman, et cetera, et cetera. 
I, I'm, I'd be curious to figure out why this New York favorite necessarily didn't keep momentum. Yeah. Because it, it, at least in the last decade, you know, when something really sweeps Gotham, it, it typically does better and than this one. And it's about the entertainment industry. It's not about movie sure. making per se, but, the, you know, the, there's ties in there that there's stuff that the Academy usually likes. I'm like you. I'm more interested to know the reasons behind what the hell went wrong here. I, I can't think of anything else other than Netflix. I don't know for sure, obviously, if it's Netflix's fault. And you could theorize, like I said, a billion different possibilities. Is it Netflix? Is it the theory behind choosing sides between Baumbach and Greta Gerwig? Who knows? I think it's the Academy realizing that this guy is hitting the peak of his career. Every single year, he's putting out Oscar-level stuff, or at least award season-level stuff, with Black Klansman last year, Logan Lucky before that, Silence, Patterson. I don't remember when Patterson came out. It's one of those years. They came out in Germany in 2016, but it's a 2018 <laughs> film on our shores. I don't remember. I don't. It's all blending together, but he's put out good stuff, and he's got good stuff to come. We made a joke when we were recording a review, Andrew and I, it's a funny joke that we shared. Oh, are you guys close now? The look you gave me. I'm on the outside of the window just crying in the snow. See, you gave me such you a guys forlorn. Look warm. You gave me such a forlorn expression like you paused. Your whole body froze up. It was like, you've been talking to another man? Jealous much? Oh my god. Andrew and I had Can't a Imagine why none of my relationships have Very worked out. funny joke, Mike. <laughs> I wrote it down in my diary. Go ahead. It was hilarious. I laughed for days because Andrew said this was the year of Adam Driver after the year of Adam Driver. And I slapped my knee. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. I just stepped on your joke so bad because I'm looking at this jerk right now, this jerk face. Wow, this pivoted to my fault very quick. I had to. I had to. You, like, froze up. It was so weird. But, look, in 2020, Driver's going to be in the Ridley Scott's uh, Ridley Scott movie, The Duel, with Affleck and uh, Damon. Yeah. Next year, he's doing a musical with Marion Cotillard entitled The Net. He's only 36. He's going to have more chances. It's and the longest also, way to get there. Well, he uh, to finish, put a finishing touch on that point. There yeah. could be a thinking, too, that, look, man. You're just getting the biggest paycheck in the world for playing new Darth Vader. True, you know? true. So there's your Oscar this year. It just comes in the form of one of those giant... That's what they should make this award show about. You should hand out Oscars and then giant oversized checks to people that did the best at the box office. <laughs> I think that would put more butts in the seats if the Oscars are worried about that. That would just alienate... <laughs> So much of the country. <laughs> that could be the popular film comparison. So fast. <laughs> just two people clapping behind him as the rest of the crowd boos. Yeah, just stroking it like cats, like hairless cats in the audience. Everybody has their own hairless cat. That's evil stuff. Let us run the Oscars. Mike, why is Jonathan Price going to win this thing? Uh, shout out to Academy Queens for this idea. And what a transition by us right there. But we've also <laughs> talked about this theory in the past. Jonathan Price isn't winning this award. We know that. Yeah. But if we're talking about a Ridiculous Academy Awards, why not keep that trend going? If the Academy were truly in the business of trolling as many people as possible to get their views up, wouldn't they rig the vote to make sure Jonathan Price got an Oscar this, before Glenn Close? This right here. Is, <laughs> Based on the characters they played opposite each other in the wife. This is self-indulgent. I mean... This is narcissistic <laughs> and it is tinfoil-hatted. Imagine Twitter, Mike. No. Just imagine I'm a, You're imagining you going crazy because <laughs> of that connection. I would appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, that, that, would make, that would make Joker look like one of those cat cafes. <laughs> Maybe worse, Mike. Maybe one of those jellical milk bars across from 
right. across from those cat <laughs> right. theaters. Uh, look, we can be jerks. And again, I'm arguing with you in this segment. I don't know why. We could be jerks. We really can't. A year ago, we were both yelling about how Jonathan Price <laughs> right. was yeah. snubbed. Yeah. He was tra- he has had a tragically ignored career yeah. by not only the Academy, but every major award show. Now he does a performance right. that gets nominated. And after this, after this man's stellar filmography, just because this movie we don't I love. I don't want this one. <laughs> this one we don't love. And we we still admire it. It's still solid. It's strong. We wanted Price nominated for The Wife, and now we're mad again. Proving once and for all that beggars can, in fact, be choosers. <laughs> oh, that should be the mantra of the podcast. We're finding things out today, folks. Uh, but here's another nominee, obviously, with holes on the resume. I mean, SAG, uh, Choice, not there for him. That's why he's not going to win. Yeah, amongst other reasons, too. I got a couple. But for starters, I think the most glaring one as to why Jonathan Price won't win is that when I was sitting down to fill out this doc and do yeah. my research and get into why these guys will and won't win, I saw Jonathan Price's name and I was like, he's nominated? Same. No, that's <laughs> the truth. It, it's, the, it's the same for me. I started to fill in all these sections from memory like I yeah. do when I start. Because I, th- I try to get my first gut reactions right. down and see where that goes and whatever. And his name was the one I had to look up. I was up. like, huh, how about that? Good for him. Nice to see you here, Johnny. I remember him yeah. from last year. He was, he was great in the life. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, but you said it, the history and the precedent and the resume is is kind of the biggest thing going against them. The SAGs don't always get the Oscar winner for Best Actor right at their show, but they do always get him nominated there. Since the SAG Awards started back in 1994, the eventual Oscar winner for Lead Actor has always been at least nominated at that show, and neither Price nor Banderas were this year. And like I said, I do think should an upset happen out of either of those. I don't think I'm out of line in saying it would likely be Banderas. I think Banderas has like maybe a 1.2% chance of pulling off an upset. But if somebody does pull off the upset, it's going to be Banderas over Price anyway. So that just goes further down the rabbit hole as to why this man, this performance won't win. Yeah, I don't think the real Pope Francis helped him much either. <laughs> yes. With the, uh, you know, I, look, I don't want old ladies, you know, grabbing me either yeah. and just not letting well, me leave. for yourself. Some people pay extra for that. But that's an ill-timed Pope gaffe. I Can wonder just... if that played with anyone's voting. That would be awesomely awful if something like that, that far removed from the film industry, played into somebody's Academy voting. <laughs> I can see it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's impossible because we know the Academy is. I wish I had an answer for you. Yeah. But it just feels like something. I mean, look, it's a movie. All right. I do have an answer. It's a movie that glorifies this guy for being a a genuinely good guy. There you go. Yeah. And then he has that gaffe right in the middle of award season (laughs) where a lady's just like, oh, my God, this is the greatest (laughs) moment of my life. I can't let you go. And he's like, excuse me. Excuse me, let me go. We got to turn that into a segment because every time you say that, it laughs. Stupid. It's so stupid. But I know you laugh. So, look, I think uh, the two probes probably needed a Best Picture nomination uh, to make it essential viewing. Probably a good argument. To get everybody watching this movie. I think you could have made a better argument if SAG nominee Christian Bale or if Choice nominee Robert De Niro or Globe nominee Roman Griffin Davis had gotten in here instead of Price. Because now it's 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 harder, I think, without the without the, these other nominations for him, and it's I not happening. I wholeheartedly agree, and this is you know it's a lot of time going down into why. Who's probably the fifth name into this category? I know I said Banderas is either fourth or fifth in my heart, and just based on doing the research, I think Banderas was fourth and Price was fifth. But 
he, he, regardless of where he is, he's not winning this award. He's not winning. Yeah. We got to go into why someone might win now, though. We can actually end this facade. <laughs> Finish this ruse. Mike, why will Joaquin Phoenix win this thing? Well, the easiest answer is because he swept the major precursors he can sweep this far, and yeah. BAFTA is expected to yeah. follow suit. Yeah. But even if Joaquin somehow is upset at the BAFTAs, he'll have won the Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, and SAG Lead Actor categories. In the past 24 years, which is how long the Critics' Choice Awards have been around prior mm-hmm. to this year, mm-hmm. an actor has won the minimum of three of the four major precursors 16 times. For okay? the stat, the minimum for the stat. Right. Yeah. The past 24 years, at least 16 times an actor has won three of those. Mm-hmm. Only one of those 16 times has it happened that that actor did not win the Oscar for Best Actor on Academy Sunday, which again, to bring up the stat, is 2001, when Denzel beat out Russell Crowe, who I actually think I wrongly cited as having won the Oscar that year on a recent episode. I remember that uh, from re-listening to it. I didn't catch it when we were right. speaking to each other because Russell Crowe won the year before exactly, for Gladiator. That's exactly what I was thinking of. I was comparing Training Day Denzel to Gladiator Russell Crowe. Yeah. And I was like, oh, whoopsies. We got to do more retrospectives. That's our fault. <laughs> but in 2001, Crowe won each precursor, Critics' Choice, Golden Globes, BAFTA, and SAG, and lost to Training Day Denzel at the Oscars, which is to say unless someone is going to be playing Denzel in this category, even if Joaquin loses the BAFTA this weekend, he's still the heavy favorite and likely to win this category. Right. And Joker did lead the field in nominations, lest we forget. And Joaquin, as Brian Former was nice enough to say to us in our previous episode, is still in search of his first Oscar, whereas many people believe he should have already have one. So, there you go. Based on that last point you made, uh, I'll, I'll say this. If it's even, you know, you're probably choosing the elder actor of the primary contenders. Okay, that's a fair However, point. However, However, last year's Glenn Close loss would negate that argument. Why? Why do you do this? Because I am your <laughs> contrarian now. In these, you make me do these exercises, so I just I've take been out nice my resentment. I've opened my home to you. <laughs> They're four sweeps, Mike. We got to liven these up somehow. No, I agree. I think uh, I think we don't even have that scenario though here because Phoenix is not the eldest actor without an Oscar. It's Jonathan Price. Right. So forget what I just said. It was just for a gag. Uh, I think uh, I think he's sweeping, and it's very obvious that everybody loves him and he's winning it's obvious yeah i i, I think i you know it, it gets so boring when you say that and we haven't had a year i mean we've only been doing this, this is our third oscars and only our really our second full year doing this mm-hmm. but we've yet to have a year doing this exercise where each acting category seems so sewn up so early i don't like it i don't like it either yeah. thank god we have great guests on amen to that that was a great addition amen to, to this year and it just saved us like fucking <laughs> was that volleyball in the tom hanks movie Wilson, they have been our Wilson. They've kept us alive. Man, you said volleyball in a Tom Hanks movie. My mind immediately went to the scene of Top Gun. I don't know why. I was like, Tom Hanks wasn't in Top Gun? <laughs> Idiot. Anyway. Well, I think uh explains a lot is what I think that does. And I'm not saying good or bad. There's no crying saying, in volleyball! I don't know where this is going. You went from a Tom Cruise Top Gun reference back to a Tom Hanks these synapses. A league of their own reference. These synapses are making me thirsty. <laughs> you like you're in rare form An today. I don't mean of that. Every I, pop culture reference yeah. ever made just jumbled yeah. into one brain. Anyway, you'd be uh, the opposite of uh, the beast in trivia. <laughs> 
I might be, actually. But then again, you'll get the craziest questions right. Right. Well, I'll just give, like, very thorough, wrong answers. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a lot funnier. By the way, that is really funny. I would laugh if you were on the Schmotown. You're so confident. I would laugh so hard. But then you really drive it home, make your argument. Oh, that'd be funny. Where the hell are we, Mike? You got to talk about why Joaquin's going to lose at some point. Uh, you can make a compelling merit-based argument here. I think you can make one. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of people have criticized him for overacting in this role. Uh, I think uh, you have some super strong alternatives in this category. We're hyping it up as being some great performances all year long. I do. I think some of the great, great performances got snubbed. Yeah, I do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do. And I think it would have been a much stronger category where you could have flipped the coin where somebody else probably would have won more somewhere else. If really you could have talked, you could have talked this as an all timer mm-hmm. if you didn't have two fringe guys come in at the last minute. And then maybe if Banderas was hyped up for longer, Agreed. but he was even on the outside looking in to the main guys. I picked him because I'm a genius, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean <laughs> it helped the overall tale of the tape. Right. I I agree with everything you said. Short of that one sentence, Joker also. When we started this doc, when I was putting in my reasons, I this is the first time I went to the heavy favorites why they'll lose first. Right. Because the easiest thing, I mean, it's a very polarizing movie. And like you say, combine that with how maybe he's viewed pejoratively, people do think he's overacting. I don't know how many do, but that we've seen that criticism certainly pop up from time to time. And I know Joker has its crazy fans, and I know it has its Academy fans, but for the Academy, what we know about them historically... This would be as radical and as progressive and embracing of a movie as we've had from them maybe ever, right? Mm. It's a big step for them to reward this type of movie. Do they do it? Are they really that ready to kind of take that next step? I could see them not be, being, right? Whichever is the proper words of that verb, but... That's that's kind of where I rest at. Because Joker is so polarizing, maybe he doesn't hit this magic number. Maybe, maybe he falls. So after our Joker character study, and remember, we kind of studied all those Joker characters. We, we have some basis for this. I think you can make the argument that you'd have to go super dark if you're giving the Joker origin story becoming Joker in a serious drama. I think you got to go super dark. I get why they did some of these things. However, I can also counter that, you know, the Dark Knight was super serious and yet Heath Ledger is still cracking jokes because he can be funny. This character cannot be funny and he is not funny at all in the movie. I I know there's an irony there for the fact that he's called the Joker, blah, blah, blah. I get it. All right. That's obvious. But this Phoenix portrayal really doesn't drive home the Joker for me. It doesn't feel like the Joker for me, especially based on studying every single Joker like we did. Right. It's not cerebral. It's pretty plain on the screen what this guy's going through, whereas because Heath Ledger was cracking jokes and doing all the other things he was doing, it became much more of a psychological, oh my God, how sick and twisted is this person? Right. So, yeah, there is certainly that distinction. Yeah, it's almost like the Devil's Rejects Joker that yeah. that's what this will be like going that. forward. It won't be it won't be anybody that's going to outmatch you with his wits. It's not the Joker we know as the cerebral mastermind. It's not even close. Yeah, I, I like that. And, and you got to consider it being that polarizing because of all those factors you just mentioned. If the Academy wants to shun this performance, 
they can do so knowing that it's likely not going to hurt the film being a, an Oscar winner anyway, right? Hilder's probably going to win that original score category. Mm -hmm. So the Joker's not going to go 0 for 11, even if Joaquin is massively upset here. But if you want to get really cynical and really meta with it, the last film to go 0 for 11 was The Color Purple. And if the Academy was being so vindictive as to write that kind of blunder, then maybe they have this movie, which is so centered on the white male rage and glorifying it to an extent, be the next one to go 0 yeah, for 11. I would be surprised if they're thinking about it in that context. I would be shocked. Yes, I agree. That would take some serious macro thinking. And coordination. Say. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they'd have to be going through it and all thinking about it together. Um, I would also hate for the color purple to have such company, but that's, that's just me. That's <laughs> yeah. Not to say, even in a negative context. Yeah. I yeah. would rather just, all right, the color purple is, is, is a pretty good movie. Yeah. Right. And should not have been snubbed all the way across the board. It was kind of silly. Sure was. Anyway, I, I get your argument, and I and I don't discredit it. I will not bet that that's going to happen, though. That, that neither will you. I'm sure. I was grasping at straws, man. <laughs> I really, I don't see any way that this guy gets upset. Well, here's the thing: if you had to kind of handicap all four of these acting performances, and this is the last category review of all four. Who's the most vulnerable? Who would you think has the biggest chance to actually lose? I mean, I, I'm leaning towards Phoenix, but I don't I don't feel great about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I know you asked that. To Maybe it's that Laura Dern. Answer. I don't know. Uh, Dern, I was going to, it was my instinct, but because she's so tied into the Academy, yeah. I would say no. So I would probably say Zellweger, only because I feel like people are getting fatigued from awarding her so much. She's, but again, that's just a gut. I have nothing to base that on. Yeah. No, they're all four of right. the winners. They all seem very much very safe and very procured. And I'm sure when we do our gambling episode, the odds are going to reflect such things. Yeah. They'll be heavy, heavy favorites. All right. Let's go into Perfecting Perfection to end this episode on. If you've not joined us before, for what Perfecting Perfection is, it is a re-rank of our preferences of how these nominees should be ranked. Now, these are not necessarily what we think will happen on Academy Sunday. That's going to come during the aforementioned gambling preview and Oscars preview show. Uh, it's not even necessarily what we think uh, the ranking should be because those will be coming from us, our personal rankings during the Mike, Mike, and Oscars award show. Rather, these are just our rankings of these five performances the Academy gave us and ranking them in the order that we most appreciated them, five through one. Michael, what's number five for you? So I have Antonio Banderas at my number five. I just didn't love the performance. Maybe it's, you know, too reserved for me to, to really get it on one watch. I've been I watched Two Popes three times. Why? 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 Yeah, that's a good question. I just threw it on the other on night. That. I just threw it on the other night just as an addendum, and I still don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it every time, and I, I, I respect people who do like it. I really do, and I can't get into it at all. So the price is my number four, and Banderas is my number five. I have them flip flop for that reason. Okay. I'm, I'm not a fan of the two popes pretty much whatsoever. Price my five, Banderas my four. Number three, Mike? Adam Driver. Time. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. I thought I was going to have a much higher so on the list I. going so into I. the year. I've rewatched all these movies though, and we look. Joaquin Phoenix. I think the, you know the overacting is there in, in blips, but I think I think overall, like he's pulling some things off. He's making me believe that this character has the capability that the character has, and that's saying a lot because sometimes the script doesn't get there for me. Agree with everything you're saying. I'm 
just surprised because I was pretty high on driver's performance. So like you, I thought, I do think this is a performance that could win in other years, certainly. I think these top three are three really, really good ones and worthy of being in this class of those 17 or whatever names mm-hmm. we talked about mm-hmm. being nominated for Best Actor. What's your number two and what's your number one? And tell me how right I've been all year. Leo is my number one. Yay! And uh, I suck at uh, countdowns because I always give away like three and two, like in a bunch. (laughs) So it leaves one. Nobody's in suspense. I guess, again, radio fundamentals, folks. The internet's got enough countdowns. I've been trying to learn, and gosh darn it. Leo's my number one for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought it was a tremendously vulnerable performance. I thought that it's a bit of a Tarantino surrogate working in the industry, like Mr. Bibiani said in his article. Leo... Is uh is kind of a, a surrogate for you know the guy's guy working in the business, and that's one of many layers to that character. And I think Leo portrays them all. And I, we, we've been going on and on gushing about why yeah. Leo's performance is so good for months. <laughs> to the point we've annoyed some people. I know we've that for a fact. Some people. And they haven't been quiet about telling us that, <laughs> which I understand good for them. But yeah, I, I I don't hold that against anyone, and I agree with everything you say about it. And I do think just based on emotional range alone, and Joaquin is spectacular in that performance but he's pretty one note pretty much the same guy on this downward steep decline into whatever he's doing there in that movie and i don't think leo is i don't know if i don't know if i'd say one note but it's definitely the one half of the keyboard okay fair yeah maybe that's like that i like that more i'll agree with that once in a while. I, I edit up. my statement to say what you just said. <laughs> Once in a while, I come up with a metaphor that I like. That could actually be good. Maybe, maybe it works. <laughs> All right. Our thanks once again to William Bibiani. Could not be more grateful to have him join us. Yeah. And we thank him for his time. He is William Bibiani on Twitter. That's W-I-L-L-I-A-M-B-I-B-B-I. A-N-I on Twitter and also W. Bibiani on Instagram. Once again, he writes for Bloody Disgusting and The Rap, and you can see him play the beast on the Schmodown where he is, in fact, a beast. He lives his gimmick because he just knows that much about movie trivia. It is quite the sight to behold. I highly recommend all of you go seek it out. Definitely seek it out. I've watched a bunch of episodes myself on your recommendation. Yeah. Thank you for that. And converted he, and he's, you. He's very funny. I mean, he's a steel trap. I like the shtick that they're doing. It's it's really fun. And and he's one of the. I don't want to you know throw shade on anybody else, but he's one of the better actors. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I do. total wholeheartedly agree. And and Ken Knapsack, we've talked to on yes, here before. He's, he's part funny. of that as well. A great actor. When himself, he looks so, at yeah. the camera, breaks the uh, you know it's not breaking the fourth wall because he's a TV host. Right? But <laughs> he lo- he looks at the camera and it kills me yeah. every time. So uh, they, they do. Do a great job at the Schmodown, and uh, he does a great job on his podcast network. Again, that is the critically acclaimed network with Whitney Seibold. They got, I think, five or six shows on there now. The newest one coming out soon is uh, the Star Wars podcast entitled Episode Zero. If you subscribe to their Patreon, you can listen to their Oscars podcast, Only the Best, where he and Whitney review all the best picture nominees in a single year. Looks like just a massive endeavor that they're doing in one concise beautiful setup that we've always wanted to do right. in our lives they're good 
Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, their their branding is just so on point. I and mean, they started a year and a half ago. I mean, they, what an undertaking. What a job My by them. My goodness. What a, it's a terrific job. And uh, go listen to that. Worth every penny. Yeah, absolutely. Go listen to everything critically acclaimed. Those are very wise words, Mike. And I'm going to jump your gun and say those are the words of wisdom for this they episode. Uh, you can reach out to us. We want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, not only about what Mr. Bibiani had to say in this podcast, but also about what we had to say on the second half of the show and anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those words and questions. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram at Oscar on the Twitter machine. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. So once you're done listening to Critically Acclaimed, go check us out as well. Just type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You'll see our cartoon faces. You can tap on those. And if you do use Apple Podcasts, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review after Helps you're done so leaving Mr. Bibiani, a five-star review for all his work as well. We would greatly, both greatly appreciate that. Five-star clicking fools all. Please, please, please. (laughs) It helps us so much. It really does. I'm going to help you now, Mike. Uh, What we got coming next is Best Picture with another special guest. They're still giving that out, huh? Final category overview. We got a crazy Oscar Tarantino going to win it? I think you're going to have a few things to say about I'm that. I'm going to sharpen a knife before we have that episode. <laughs> uh, we got a joke. We got another few guests. We got another few guests coming next week for Oscars week. And, of course, we're going to have that night of show. And we got we got a couple other episodes to, in store for you. The Mike, Mike, and Oscars. Oh, I have to. I always yeah. forget. Guys, we need cat, more categories for the Mike, Mike, and Oscars, if you please. We already got a bunch, and we're, we're, we're writing that show with uh, using your stuff. So anything you want to hear us talk about, send it to us on any of our social media and give us the nominees. Give us your proposed winners if you want to go that far. If you don't, if you just want to have stuff that we'll, uh, we'll discuss and debate over and celebrate, let us know. Oh, we're going to debate that Best Picture episode. <laughs> you get ready, sir. You were fixated on that. I'm saying I've Mike, just Mike, and Oscar. Flames in my eyes since it came up. How is this still happening? How? It doesn't make sense that it's just still this hot. I'm very excited. Yeah. Guys, when reality sucks, I you just can said come. you're hot, is what I just said. Just Nothing I haven't heard before, Mike. Nothing I haven't we're heard. We're tired, folks. This was a long recording. It's been session. a long couple weeks, but we could not thank once again. We are very humbled to have Mr. Bibiani join us. So thank you, Pibs. Once more, guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies, these award shows, and analyze these categories with us and our friends. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. You're hot. See ya.